Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Good morning and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Knight Campbell, your host for The Leading Edge, women pushing boundaries in life, adventure, and leadership. Our topic today is learning from the wild with Renee Kessler. Renee is a retired professor in outdoor education. After retirement, she started her own business as a business coach, best-selling author, and speaker. She was also a former National Outdoor Leadership School instructor. When I read her most recent book, Unflappable, Leadership Lessons from Climbing Mountains, I knew she would be a great guest. Today, I'm particularly excited to dive into why women should climb more figurative and literal mountains, what you can learn from the experience, and why Renee has dedicated her life to growth through time outside. Good morning, Renee. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Knight. Uh, I appreciate the invitation. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Same, same. As soon as I read your book, I knew this would be a really fun uh, interview because you get it. You get why people should be outside. So, Renee, to start out, what should our listeners know about you? <laughs> um, well, let's see. Where should I start? Um, it's purposely I'm, vague. Um, What's that? It's it's purposefully vague. It's whatever you yes, want. Yes, good. Okay. Well, I, I will say currently I am a business coach and speaker and author. And um, as Knight said, I retired as a professor of outdoor education and environmental education from uh, a university in the east. And uh, two weeks after I retired from that, I um, moved west because I am drawn to the mountains. Um, I was fortunate enough to have my summers off. So probably 99% of my summers were spent out west in Idaho and Colorado and Wyoming and California, um, wandering around the hills. And uh, I've always been drawn to mountains. And so they speak to me. And um, I, I think we'll probably talk more about that when we dive into this. But decided to move west and start my own business because I was I was retired from my job as a professor, but I wasn't retired in finding ways to give back to people and uh, continually turning people on to the wild outdoors and feeling better about who they are and where they're going in their life. Amazing. And I've got to start here with the Knowles connection because we're both Knowles instructors. And Knowles, the National Outdoor Leadership School, does – 30-day expeditions kind of all over the world. But you were there kind of at the start. Like you were out with Paul Petzl, who's a legend in Knowles. And I'm just curious what that was like for you. <laughs> uh, it's, it's so fun to reminisce about those early days. Um, I started with uh, um, taking a course and in instructing with the Wilderness Education Association after Paul Petzold had already been with Knowles for 10 years. 
So I started with that organization first, um, instructing and as a, a, a co-instructor with Paul on three different wilderness courses in the Tetons and the Wind River Ranges. And then I decided that I would move into taking a Knowles course. And after that, I became a Knowles instructor. And this was beyond Paul. Paul was no longer involved in the National Outdoor Leadership School. But he became my first mentor in the wild outdoors. Um, He was essentially um, such a great role model and leader in the outdoors. Um, Early on, Leave No Trace wasn't really wasn't even developed then, but he still had a mindset of protecting the environment, appreciating the environment, and getting people to understand what it means, not to just survive in the woods, but to enjoy the time that you spend in the wild outdoors. And uh, so those were, those are great years. And in the, I started in the 70s with the Wilderness Education Association and then graduated to Knowles um, in the late 1980s. I became a Knowles instructor in 1989. But those early days, there weren't that many female instructors. So, um, you know, it was always teaching alongside with males, and uh, which was, I learned a ton from them as well, and never felt any, not, not really felt any different from them. Other than gender, I didn't feel like I was not appreciated or anything along those lines. But I did recognize some distinctions in in leadership styles, I think, more than anything. Yeah, that's so interesting to hear. You make it sound like, oh, I just uh, started instructing for Knowles. But even a day, that's not an easy thing. And like you say, there weren't Mm -hmm. really many women. And even today, the guiding industry is really deficient in having women out guiding. And I'm curious kind of what what did you learn from the experience of being a guide predominantly with male co-instructors out in the wilderness? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I think one of the things that when I was thinking about these questions, one of the things that I, I thought about was the first time I became, after I had taken the Knowles Instructors course, and then my very first course was, Um, an outdoor education course and I taught with two other male instructors and I remember meeting them for the first time and we sat down and both of them were very task oriented these are things we have to do to get ready to get our gear together and get our logistics together and and all of that and I on the other hand was interested in knowing who they were like who am I going to spend the next three weeks with in the wilderness and uh it was an interesting dynamic, and I don't know, I can't necessarily say this because I was a female and I was more interested in them versus getting the tasks done. But that struck me when I first started at Knowles. I don't think that's the case any longer. I think tasks and more hard skills were predominant as far as recognizing someone as a leader. <clears throat> and then eventually, as time went on, recognizing how important the uh, the dynamics of the people and how they get along and who they are um, has has played such a large role in leadership development. That really resonates for me because I think I, coming from the military, also am quite mission-driven. 
And one thing that I learned from Knowles, ironically, is, you know, leadership's about the people. Not that I learned it there. I knew that, but I learned it on a much deeper level. Um, I have so many questions, but I also, your PhD, uh, and that's also no small feat. And I'm curious what that process was like and what you took away from that in terms of where you are now. Well, initially, I wasn't going to go on for a Ph.D., but I really liked the job that I was at in the university that I was working at, and you can't hang around beyond a five-year limit to uh, without a Ph.D., and I thought, oh, okay, I'll go on to get a Ph.D., but uh, yeah, it was, um, and but I knew it had to be something that I was passionate about, something related to the outdoors, and uh, I chose leadership development leadership development, um, you, know, you know, what are the factors that impact leadership development in the wild outdoors, in wilderness education? And so I actually um, wrote a grant for Knowles and was able to have some money to support my research on that dissertation through Knowles. And um, it was amazing. I, the, the one of the biggest things that I learned related to this research is that one of the factors that have an impact on leadership development for women is mentoring. And that statistically was significant in my research is recognizing the power of mentorship for women, for both men and women, but primarily it was statistically significant for women in their, their development as a leader. And that seemed very um, it, it was nice to see that that validity and that statistical support because I always recognize that in my own life and how powerful mentorship was for me in my own leadership development as a female. Isn't it nice when academia matches reality? I'm curious, yeah. in your research, did you find that having a woman as a mentor for a woman was important or is it just women need a great mentor? And like you say, men also can benefit, but. Right. I think that's a great question. And no, I didn't, I didn't parcel that out. You know, do, do women do better with female mentors or males? And I had both. So I never uh, really recognized. I learned something from everybody, regardless of whether they were a man or a woman. And as I said, Paul was my first mentor. And, um, and then, you know, I had, you know, other professors who were, into the wild outdoors and had backgrounds in outdoor education and, and uh, wilderness education. And so those, they all had um, a significant impact on my, my career, my future outlook, uh, my, my successes and my significances. Mm -hmm. What would you say are, you know, one to three keys if someone's listening and they're in a mentor role to being a good mentor? Well, the, the, the one thing is to be the support that oftentimes protégés or all protégés need or people who are esteeming to be a leader and to be successful is support, advice, coaching, um, someone who's there and who is invested in the protégé. I mean, there has to be some investment if you want to be a good mentor. You have to be invested in the person who <clears throat> is seeking your guidance and seeking your modeling and seeking your mentorship. Um, otherwise, they'll 
they'll tend to have a tendency to go away because they will sense the investment isn't there and, um, you know, then it's not a value to them in their role as a protege and needing the, that person's mentorship. That's a great sort of investment is a key. And I, I, we're going to take a break here, but I want to come back to more tactically. I think I have a lot of mentor relationships both up and down these days, and some work great and some don't. So I'm curious kind of tactical what can people do to really like down to Google Calendar or whatever if you have any tips. But uh, for now, we're going to take a quick moment and recognize one of our sponsors. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be one of the largest private nonprofit universities founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the U.S. and around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you for your support, National University, and to all of our sponsors and our partners. And now, Knight, back to your show. Thank you, Michelle. Welcome back to Leading on the Edge with our guest, Renee Kessler. Renee, back to this question of do you have any tactical tips uh, beyond obviously being invested in a mentee to make these relationships really work? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And, and I think, you know, I get, in, in our, our break time here, I wrote down freedom. In other words, uh, the mentor really needs to give the protege freedom to go their own way and what, what speaks mm-hmm. to them and, um, and also freedom to make mistakes and it's okay. And to be there if they fall down, to be there to support them, bring them back up. I also mentioned empowerment and I think the best way to empower proteges or people who are looking for mentorship is through coaching and not give them all the answers, not to say, this is how you do it. Um, not not give them all sorts of advice, but say, ask them a lot of questions and have them come up with their own answers through really thoughtful questions and recognizing the themes that are going on in that, that person's life. And then also the last one, it seems sounds so simple, but just being available, available for that person who is seeking mentorship. So those are the three that I think, along with investment. <laughs> Freedom, empowerment, and availability. Love it. I want to circle back here because you have a lot of great stories and lessons in your book, um, but one that stood out to me as being particularly challenging is you were taking a group up high altitude climbing, and one person had some issues but said, no, I'm fine, I don't need any help. Uh, and you, by all accounts, you didn't do the wrong thing, but you came back and he ended up passing away. Uh, due to pulmonary complications. And you pulled some lessons out of that. I'm just curious for our listeners, like, what did you learn from that? That's, that is a hard situation. Yeah, it was really hard. And when I wrote the book, it's the first time that I wrote about it and really spoke about it publicly. And it happened uh, a good 20-some years ago. And it it hung around in my 
my think tank and my emotional tank for many, many years because it's hard as a leader to lose someone. The whole idea is everyone you take out in the back country, you want to bring back. I mean, that's, that is success. And um, first time and the only time, I didn't bring someone back. It was devastating, just extremely devastating. And I think, not, not that I think, but I know what I learned the most from that is that I made some assumptions about his health and well-being, this gentleman's health and well-being, and his background. He had a background as a physician, and I assumed that he knew what was going on with his body. And I assumed that he knew things more than, um, than I think in the end he did know. Um, I also don't believe because he was older than me, he, had, uh, he was really well-known in my community and highly respected and well-loved. And I didn't hold him to the same standards as everyone else in the group. And many of the other people were, my, were students and uh, people with, um, who were there just really interested in, in climbing this, this major peak. And um, the last thing is, is I allowed him to take the leadership away from me, and I think that was the thing that struck me the most is. And I think this is a, n- not such an uncommon error in leadership where people don't necessarily hold everyone to the same standards and people allow others in the group to take the leadership away from them. And I did with him. I let him um, because I didn't hold him to the same standards, so therefore he was able to take the leadership away from me. But I allowed him to take the leadership away from me. He said he was okay. I said we did some bargaining back and forth, and that's just not something that, um, on hindsight, um, I would do. <laughs> but I did. And, uh, and the other thing, Knight, that I want to point out is that, you know, you could have years of experience and I had, by that time, 20 years of backcountry experience, climbing big peaks at high altitudes. And I knew my stuff. But this happened. And it happened right before my eyes. And I was uh, just really taken aback by the whole experience. It really, really affected me and questioned my own leadership. So, it's again, it's not something that is uncommon, I think, among people who are in this role and in this career and in this this uh, way of leadership and leading other people. It stood out to me particularly because you didn't make like a gross negligence error. You didn't really do anything wrong. It was just a really bad situation. And it's still stuck in your psyche for 20 years. Understandably, that's a big deal. And, uh, you know, the, the choices we make or don't make as a leader can really impact us for a lifetime, and it seems like that's the case here. Yes. Um, Yeah. yeah. And and I'm curious. uh, Go go ahead. If if you have something to say, I I don't want to brush past this because it's it's a big thing. I think writing the book and putting that story in really helped me. Uh, It was kind of a cathartic thing and helped me really – and, I, and I'm a journaler. I journal all the time anyway, and I spend a lot of time journaling that. But I think writing the book and getting it out there has really helped. 
and really putting it in its place and putting it into perspective. Yes, if we could all just write down the things that we have in our heads, I think that's a great practice just in general and certainly in this case. I want to move a little bit into leadership because you alluded to it earlier in the show already. I'm always ask all of my guests in general, do you think that women have unique strengths as leaders? You know, I would say if I were, you know, 20 years ago, I would say, um, yes. Um, now I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I think people in general have unique strengths <laughs> mm. and I don't necessarily yeah. think one belongs to one gender or the other. Um, I, I think because there's more women in leadership roles all the way up the line to CEOs and owners of companies and, and so forth. Um, I think that um, we can't necessarily any, I don't think so any longer say that, you know, women have better as we used to say, soft skills or um, people skills than men. And I, I don't, I think to some degree, perhaps, but I, 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 again, I think there's plenty of men out there that are really in tune with other people and the dynamics of people. And that's, that's really critical, but there's an awful lot of women who are very skilled, have some great technical skills. And um, so I guess, you know, without kind of beating around the bush, I don't think that there's great differences between males and females. I think there's unique differences or unique gifts that people have that really help in their leadership and how people respond to them. I really like your answer. People have unique strengths in leadership. And you kind of then went back to societal norms of women have soft skills, men have technical competence. Uh, do you think that society is telling the story that's causing the perception of unique strengths between genders? I think it, it will always be there. I mean, I think that's just how our, our culture and our world is wired, isn't it? I mean, it's from biblical days, um, but I think the more that we're in the know and the more that we appreciate and recognize and acknowledge that people in general have unique gifts, regardless of male or female, and the more we say that out loud and the more we recognize and acknowledge it, I think the more that we can move toward seeing that women can be as good and not better in leadership positions than men. It used to be night um, back in the day, and I don't know what the latest statistics is, but it used to be that women who are leading in, out, in the outdoors tend to have less accidents. And there was some statistic, mm -hmm. I would say, I don't know, 25 years ago, less statistics, uh, um, injuries and accidents than um, male leaders. And I thought, oh, okay, that's why I don't have any. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've had a pretty good <laughs> record except for that that one right. um, person. But I don't know if there if that statistic still exists or not. But I thought that was interesting. That's that's really interesting. And in the book, how women decide, one of the things that caught my 
attention is that studies show that under stress, men tend to take the riskier option 80% of the time, where women are kind of the opposite. And, you know, wouldn't it be nice if when our leaders are stressed, they make measured good decisions, not just default to the risky option? Uh, what do you make of that research? Uh I yeah I think so you know I go back to the the title of my book Unflappable you know what what creates an unflappable situation or an unflappable disposition because all of us some of us are sort of you know have an unflappable DNA or unflappable disposition anyway and then others um, can easily do risky heroic kinds of things that take them away of being unflappable. Or it used to be when Paul used to say, well, take some time to smoke a cigarette in the days when everybody was right. smoking cigarettes. And um, there's something to that. You know, uh, you know, again, I don't know. I don't know the statistic. I think it's interesting that um, men could be more risky. I think that there's something, you know, I wouldn't deny that. Then, and women are more calculated in the decisions that they make. But, um, again, I, I, I can't speak to that because I, I don't know that. But I think there's certainly some truth to that. And, and perhaps some situations call for the riskier options. People mm-hmm. uh, are unique in their risk management perhaps. And for our listeners, I, I, Renee just brought up Paul Petzl and smoking a cigarette. There's an amazing anecdote of when there's a life and death situation, the first step is to smoke a cigarette. And the point being, stop, think, settle in, don't move too fast because that's when people make mistakes. Renee, you're a mountain climber, a outdoor guide, and a business coach. And I have to ask, what is the impact on the bottom line for people to get outside, climb mountains, mountain bike, whatever it is, get outside? Oh, my goodness. Uh, we don't have enough time for this show. But, I know. Um, <laughs> it's such a value, people. Anybody out there, I mean, people who are listening to this probably get it, but people who don't get it, it's hard for them to recognize and until they're outside and then they see the benefits and reap the benefits of that. I mean, it's a, it's a calming effect for people, especially during the pandemic. I mean, that's an indication of how many people went outside because there was nothing else to do. And, of course, that's diminishing now because now there's more things to do and people are doing the more indoor things or other uh, ways to entertain themselves that tend to be inside. But uh, get outside, have an adventure, um, spend some time alone in the woods. That's for some people, particularly women, that might sound scary, but um, it's not a scary place. And it's... um, a place where people can become get, get centered, figure out who you are, where you're going, what's important to you, and you can do that alone, or you can do it with other people. It's just a, the most authentic way to make connections with other people. I do a program called Mastermind on the Mountain, and I do it once a month with leaders and entrepreneurs. And we meet outside. We do masterminding, not virtually not in a group, not in a hotel room, but we go down the trail and we do activities up and down the trail related to a topic that would be valuable to their business or their leadership. 
and people easily make connections because the outdoors is such an informal place to make authentic connections with other people. You don't have to dress up. You're not standing behind a suit and tie or a dress. You're not wearing, you don't have to wear makeup, all of that. You're just the real deal. And um, that's appealing. I can't imagine people not appreciating being authentic and being around other people who are authentic. Um, so, yeah, I, that's the bottom line. Get outside. It's, it's good for your health. It's good for your well-being. And, um, yeah. I love the image of your mastermind and we are so closely aligned on this that you can learn powerful lessons and for one, who you are and where you're going, who in the world can lead without having a grasp on that. Uh, Renee, we're coming up on our time here and I'm curious what's next for you. Uh, Well, uh, as far as climbing or uh, business or I guess it's yeah. an open question. <laughs> I know, these vague open questions. <laughs> well, I have plans. Uh, I'll be 66 in April, and I plan to climb the Matterhorn in um, end of July. July. The date is July 31st. So it's. Uh, I'm excited about it. I think it's a beautiful mountain. It doesn't take very long. And um, I think it's, it would be really fun to do that mountain. So I'm scheduled to do that. And um, as far as business, um, I'm looking toward more speaking engagements because, you know, I'm on fire, really. Uh, I really enjoy um, speaking to people. It's not about me. It's about them. If I can make their lives better and bring value to them, I am 100% there. And that's, I've retired from my former position, but I'm not retired from life. There's, there's too much going on to, to make a difference, and that's where I'm going. Amazing. Good luck on the Matterhorn. As we both know, the mountains have a large say in our success or not, so I hope it's a fun expedition. Uh, in case our listeners want to reach out to you, maybe check out your mastermind or, or what you're doing and how you're doing it, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, well, I think my website for sure, www.renakoesler.com or email at renae.koesler at gmail.com. Either way, I'm I'm happy to connect and um, answer any questions or just make a connection. It would be great. Great. And we'll put those in the show notes so people can go back and, you know, if I were in Colorado, I would love to come on one of those masterminds because it just sounds like a powerful experience. Renee, thank you so much for your time. We so appreciate you sharing your insights and experience. And I think we could have made this a three hour show, but maybe listeners are happy not to hear us geek out on Knowles for three hours. I don't know. Well, thank you, Knight. I, this has been a blast, uh, and I love connecting with other outdoorsy types. Uh, we could talk for a long time because we we get it, and it's it's fun to sort of muse about the values of the the outdoors, right? So, thank you, thank you very much for this. Okay, that is all for our show today. Thank you again, Renee Kessler, for being our guest, and thank you to all our listeners around the world. Remember, you can always tune into Women Lead Radio shows Mondays at 9 a.m. and Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
been my pleasure to be your host today. I hope this episode inspires you to keep exploring, pushing your boundaries, and leading on the edge. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business, executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.